host, Happy Heather of PNW Bushcraft and Grumpy Tom of Knives by Nuge. And today, we have a special guest, Patrick, who owns Vargold. It's a training company, and he's going to tell us all about that at some point. How's it going, Patrick? It's going uh, really well. I'm really excited to be here, and um, I just want, want to get something out of the way. Um, <laughs> this is never a good way to start. <laughs> I've been listening to quite a few of your episodes, and oh, in every single episode, I always hear you guys just digging into Tom. Oh, he's so grumpy. He's so grumpy. <laughs> but you know what, Tom? You're the Vader to my Palpatine, okay? Every time you're on there and you're, you know, you're just speaking reality. You're just, you're just throwing it out there. I'm like, I'm like, good, good. I told let, you there were people out there. Let the hate flow through you. So, man, just be yourself. Don't listen to these naysayers. You wouldn't not, have. We're, a, not, we're not naysayers. We appreciate his grumpiness. Uh, you wouldn't have a light side without a dark side of the force. So I'm just saying. <laughs> That's great. Keeping it real. Well, I try my best, even though, you know, I'm kind of like not always grumpy. Sometimes I'm happy. Nick sees it in times. It, it, it does. It happens every once in a while. Lauren has to remind me when she's like, this is when you smile, like how you're telling your teleprompter up. Like, this is a good thing. You smile about these. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess I should. Thanks. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. We, we, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. You're, you're appreciated out there. Just, yeah, oh, absolutely. Just want to say that. The people enjoy Aww, your Oh, I think he's blushing. Look I at think that. so. Or it's because I just had a respirator strapped tight to my face <laughs> for the past four hours. <laughs> and with the beard, you know, you don't really get as good as a seal, so you just pull harder because that's what it says on the label to do. It's <laughs> not what it says to do. It says not have a beard. <laughs> but I'll be okay. It's just my cardo dust and G10 oh, dust. It's just fiberglass and resin dust floating through the air. It's what's what's the edges. Yeah. I just tape it or I have just a little mark cut out around where the respirator goes. It'd be the weirdest looking like Wolverine goatee ever. I would love it. <laughs> See, we already divulged and we're two minutes into this yeah, goddamn thing. Yeah, All right, that was, that, was that was my fault. That was my fault. It's okay. It's fine. We're not known for staying on topic. So it's, no, it's, no, not at all. It's quite, it's quite fine. Heather, how are you on this fine day? I am doing wonderful. Um, just finishing up getting ready for our show in Yakima, Washington. So that's going really well. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my focus. Just And if, cool. when this goes live on Friday, if you're in Yakima, come to the Sportsman Show and see us. That'd be great. Woohoo! Do it. Awesome. All right. Well, then, since we talked about you guys, let's talk about Patrick. Patrick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing and uh, what you got going on with Vargold? All right. Yeah. Uh, myself, that's probably one of the least favorite things I enjoy talking about. Uh, um, so uh, I guess I guess. Uh, OK, I'll start with my background a little bit. Um, I am a medically retired army guy. Um, when I finished my service um, in the army, I went back to school and. Um, I basically wanted to get paid to walk in the woods and that's a I, good start. I pursued forestry and I ended up just, I, I, it wasn't for me. It wasn't a good fit. Uh, once you start trying to monetize the things you enjoy doing, it kind of sucks a little bit of the fun out of it. Um, so I shifted kind of into, uh, making custom knives in my garage and I did that for a while and had some moderate success. But uh, as life often does, uh, it sent me on a different journey. We ended up having to move out west uh, into California. And um, 
I struggle to find a way to make knives in an apartment that, that wouldn't yeah. get me wouldn't get me in trouble or burn the place down or anything like that. Um, so while I was here, uh, I went and took a uh, survival course. It was like a um, like a three day go live in the woods in a shelter that you make type of thing. I, I just kind of wanted to get used to um, the new environment that I was in. And um, we're sitting around the campfire with people from Silicon Valley and Los Angeles and uh, all these different places. And it really seemed like there was a strong desire to know how to be outside successfully. And and that's why a lot of people were out there. And um, when I was back uh, where I moved from, Upper Michigan, uh, I was training uh, a search and rescue organization for a few years. I developed the training program for them, brought them out in the woods, trained new volunteers. So I knew what it would take to get these guys out there, be successful and stay alive. So that really got the gears turning. And eventually I was like, you know what? I can take this skill set. I can put it in a way that's easily accessible. And uh, that's how I got started uh, with what I'm doing now, the Vargold website, which um, it's it's a subscription-based online survival course, and it's uh, it's just this is this is like the soft launch. There's only one course up on it now. the The plan is to get more courses up and have it like pretty robust by October. But I'm basically taking my training program from that search and rescue organization uh, and putting it online for the world to use. So when you're talking about doing the classes and being in that different environment um, on the West Coast, <laughs> yeah, my side of the world, um, were the people wanting to learn just to be outside or were they wanting to like more in-depth skills, like how to survive if something was to happen or did they just want to be comfortable being outdoors? Like what was the main focus of what you were thinking they wanted to take out of your lessons? It, it, I think it was a mix. There was a, a curiosity for just about everything. And mm-hmm. in the course, we we talked about shelter. This is the in-person one that I went to. I mean, yeah. we, were, we were building shelters. We were starting friction fires. We were, you know, just learning how to be comfortable, find water, you know, and talk about things that you should bring and do stuff like that. And, and for a lot of people who've only grown up in densely populated rural areas, you know, that's not something that you're exposed to. So the idea of going out in the woods, even on a, just a normal camping trip can be kind of intimidating. So, um, my focus is starting. I I don't assume that anybody knows anything right off the bat. So it's a very found, I'm starting with a very foundation level approach and building up from that. So if people run through the course and take all those foundation level courses, you know, they're going to be like, wow, you know, I'm, feel pretty good that when I go out and go on a camping trip or go on a hike, uh, I'm going to be okay. I'll be more comfortable in that setting. So awesome. So if it's all online, then this is going to be open to um, everyone. I mean, men, women, just wanting to learn to be comfortable in the outdoors. So that's a a really great wide base of people. Yeah. Because when I was talking to um, a lot of women about being outdoors, it wasn't that they didn't want to be outdoors. They just didn't even have basic skills. So they weren't comfortable. And I was really surprised. It was simple things like how to start a fire, you know, how much wood should I bring? Like that kind of thing. So that's awesome that you're starting at a very base level so that everybody can be educated about being comfortable. 
And and I think um, one of the, uh, the the things that really separates what I'm doing from uh, you know people who are putting survival courses and stuff, say on YouTube or whatever, uh, if you don't know the questions to ask or you don't know where to look, uh, your learning experience is going to be choppy and segmented, and there might be gaps in the knowledge. Uh, I'm going to what I do is consolidate everything that uh, you should prop probably know before you go out into the woods in one spot so you're not hunting around all over for everything the second thing that i really feel sets me apart is i'm building these courses and doing these things and doing these demonstrations in my own apartment so the things that people will be learning are going to be apartment friendly you don't nice. need to have 40 acres in the woods. <laughs> you don't have to have, yeah. you know, uh, the back 40 or, you know, an entire forest to chop down and work on woodsman skills and stuff like that. Uh, go out on your balcony, go out on your front stoop, go in your kitchen, your living room and learn some uh, self-reliance skills. You know, yeah. It's, it's going to be uh, very accessible for most people. I think that is so, so very important because, you know, I think a lot of times people, and we've talked about this before, but I think a lot of times people make the misconception that bushcraft and survival are the same thing. And they're not. Um, You know, bushcraft is mostly a hobby that we have skills that we could absolutely use in survival scenarios. It's playing with sticks. Well, (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm sure. Are you insulting a third of my market base? Yeah. Long-term scenario where you're going to be stuck out in the wilderness for a year and you have to build structures like that makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, like I think the primary goal of surviving a true outdoor experience is getting out of the outdoors as quickly as possible, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think – you know, the idea of, of having to, you know, know how to build a shelter is super important, but we don't need to learn how to build a log cabin out of reeds or whatever it is. Like you just need a place to shelter yourself from the weather or this, uh, or the environment until you can move again to get yourself out of the environment. And, you know, I, people make the misconception that if they don't live in the woods or they don't have access to these, you know, like you said, acres and acres of land to practice on that they can't learn skills. And that's absolutely not true. But so much about being out there just in general, you know, I've, I've looked for people who have got, gone lost or missing and things like that. And uh, so much um, so much of your success in that situation is your mindset and the way you think through problems and things like that. Um, I'm starting my courses with three topics. Uh, physical fitness, physiology, and mindset. Those, the, that's like the golden triad of ne- no- knowledge that you would need to have under your belt that will keep you alive. If you're not physically fit, you're going. It, it affects your physiology. It affects your mindset. If you are physically fit, but you're not intaking the right electrolytes, or you're not thermoregulating, you know, that's your physiology. You're, you're not going to be successful if you're physically fit and you're thermoregulating, but your state of mind is crap. That's going to, those three things, that's what everything boils down to all the other skills, shelter building, navigation, finding food, whatever, playing with sticks. That's all (laughs) ancillary. Those are all ancillary skills and they're all situationally dependent, but Keeping your fitness level up, intaking the right things, and 
keep staying in the right frame of mind. Those are the three things that are going to keep you alive. Yeah. And these are the things that I think are most often overlooked when we look at um, from this, like from a social media viewpoint. Um, and you know, we talked about this when I was doing the introduction um, courses for Black Flag Outdoor Academy. Like I said, the same thing, like mindset is key because you know, the, the internet is so focused on the gear and we talk a lot about the gear because you can't take a picture of mindset, you know, like you can, but you can take a picture of a knife and you sure can and buy really um, nice ones from Nuge yeah, buy exactly. and buy really nice pictures of them. Yeah. Well, nice wait, by listen, Nuge not, keeps you alive. Yeah. Sponsored by yeah, Nice by, by Nuge. Nuge. <laughs> we got to do more of those plugs. Come on. <laughs> what am I paying you guys for? <laughs> You're paying us? Oh, <laughs> um, no, but, but really, Realistically, I think that, uh, you know, and I, I've done part of your um, first course this morning, and I really like that you start with with um, the physical component of it and the physical fitness component. And you and you tie the the psychological component to the physical fitness component, which is absolutely really, really true. And it's not just not something that I feel like you see. And I'm not saying that other people don't teach this stuff because they do. But I think it's pretty uncommon to see in an online format. Well, it's good to have that baseline set too because like if you go out there, you're already – and you're not physically fit for what you're planning on doing. I mean we've seen it all the times where you see people that are about to go hiking and it's like a vertical cliff and you're like – you guys sure you're going to be able to make it all the way up and out of that thing? It's it's not even just hiking. I mean when was the last time uh, you know, you've gone for a brisk five-mile walk, you know, on a flat surface? (laughs) It's it you know you do if that, Lauren you, had her way I'd be doing it every day with her. It's, <laughs> if, if it's not something you do on a regular basis, you're in for a, a shock. I mean, you're you're gonna be like, oh, it's just a couple of miles, whatever. By the end of mile one, you're gonna be like, oh my god, what kind of shape am I in? Um, you know, you you have to realize that uh, it's um, being physically active uh, is part of that mindset. It's all intertwined. Uh, and it has to be a commitment that you make to yourself to to be in better shape, because if you if you're not dedicated to it, you're not going to maintain it. It's it's physical fitness is one of those things you just have to keep doing. Otherwise, it goes away really fast. Yeah. And the older you get, the faster it goes away. <laughs> Because that's true. That's true. You know, I I I I do a lot of hiking and I do a, and I cover a lot of distance and I like to cover a lot of distance, but I will in the course of three months like lose all of my endurance if I don't do it. I've learned that because I went last last winter I didn't really get out as much as I would have liked to have gone out. And by the time spring rolled along, like and I tried to do the you know the typical six or seven mile um light I call it a light hike because it's pretty much a horse trail um, behind my house. And by mile three, I was like, oh, my God, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Call in the helicopter. I'm, I'm in the gym almost five days or more a week. And I, I work in the stair climber all the time. I can do an hour on the stair climber, no problem, uh, you know, amongst all the other strength training or whatever. Um, when I was putting together the physical fitness course on my website, there's a, there's a self-assessment portion. Right. And I do everything that I talk about in my course. So I took the self-assessment and um, the, the for the cardiovascular endurance parts there, it's called the 12 minute Cooper test where you just go as far as you can go in 12 minutes. And based on the distance that you've went, it's it, it's tied to your age and a couple other things, your age and weight and things like that. But 
based on your distance traveled, it gives you an indication of how well you're taking oxygen and efficiently using it. So I went as fast as I could on this 12 minute Cooper test. And, you know, two thirds of the way through, I was like, I looked at the distance and I knew in my head how far I should go to be in a decent range. I was like, holy shit, I'm not I'm not even getting there yet. Right. So I like turned up the the speed a little bit and I'm I'm running, I'm gasping for breath. I was like, what the hell? Like, why? Why can't I get there? I've. I hate running. I've never like, I'll do this. <laughs> I do the stair climbers so I don't have to run. Yeah. But then I took that physical fitness or that 12 minute Cooper test assessment and it, it blew my mind. I was like, holy crap. You know, here I thought my cardiovascular endurance was in, was okay. And it might be if I'm climbing stairs, but running or jogging or whatever, uh, it needed some improvement. And I didn't even realize that until I took my own assessment. Yeah, it's I'm all not different. Even bother. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like, he talks to the stairmaster. He works out five days a week. I'd like, I'd fail in the first thirty seconds. Like, <laughs> we're just gonna <laughs> sit here and die. Yeah, but I'd be smiling, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. there's no hope. There's no there, hope. You know what, you though, that, Patrick? <laughs> if if you're if you are coming from a place where you haven't worked out in a while, you're gonna make really amazing gains really fast. If yeah. you stick, if you, if you stick with it for a week yeah. by the, by the, by the end of the week, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I, I can even see the improvement from the beginning of the week to the end of the week. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like day one's going to suck. Day two's going to suck. But <laughs> if day you four can, or five, six suck, all the days continue to suck. Some other days, some you other days suck. might suck. <laughs> but you know, after, after the first week, those days will suck less. Well, that's good. And that's good. Yeah. That's yeah. So there's. There's some encouragement out there. It's not. Uh, I like it. Don't, don't give less. up completely. Don't give up completely. You know, I, I just think it's funny because even even those of us that that actively try to you know be a little bit more physically fit, it's like I feel like we all have these holes. You know, we all do the stuff that we like to do. So like, I really like to hike, and I can hike, and I'll do endurance stuff, and that's really cool. But I, my strength, like I know my strength is like my upper body strength is ridiculously poor. Um, it's because I don't do the work, you know, that's just, what, yeah, I don't, I don't pick things up and put them down. Um, so that's just, that's just what it is. And I know Tom, like you like to get dropped in your head on, you know, jujitsu a lot. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It makes me the man I am today. <laughs> <laughs> a little TBI never hurt nobody. <laughs> what day is it? But yeah. And it's different though. Cause like just from like, from Patrick, what you were talking about, like doing the Stairmaster and then doing the cardio, like running, like we'll have guys coming to the gym that are like runners or they're bodybuilders, and I'm like, all right, if he's a bodybuilder, I know I'm going to get thrown around for like a minute, but then he's going to be gassed because mm. it's like it's a different way of using the strength and muscles. The same way as like going outside for a run or going out hiking. Like, yeah, you maybe have like this avenue covered, but it doesn't carry over into everything because it's all a little bit different. And I can tie this all back into uh, survival situations when you have like one of the most common things that happens is people go on a hike or then they get turned around or they go uh, they hike a trail and they miscalculate how how long it's going to take to go and come back. And then all of a sudden the sun goes down. They're not back at their starting point or they took the wrong turn on the trail. They got to backtrack. And um, if you're not used to going those distances or uh, hiking in that manner, all of a sudden you get fatigued. It slows down. You slow down more, you know, and it just exacerbates those situations. So, I, I mean, in a survival context, 
uh, uh, the the physical training portion of it is is so key. Yeah, and it, it definitely I think helps from the preventing the panic from setting in, and that's that's really uh, really important because panic when you're out there is is the worst thing you can do, and a really really easy way to panic is if you're not confident in your ability to cover that distance. You know, it's just you just shut down, and when you shut down, it's it's over. <laughs> you don't want to shut down. You just gotta keep. Yeah, moving. or if if you're not sure what you need to do next. Uh, that that panic, that surge of uh, uh, catecholamines, the the chemicals that uh, epinephrine, epinephrine and, and noepinephrine, and the things that surge when you're in that uh, fight, flight or fight, uh, you know, however many f words there are in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can add some you more. Know, yeah, the the, the more uh, you know tools you have in your tool set, the the more that those feelings are sort of um, mitigated. Well, it's even understanding what the danger zone really is too. Like you could be out there and you could be turned around, but I mean, if it's 80 degrees out and you're in California, like I think you'll survive the night without a shelter and a rip and fire and everything else, but people will still panic, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure. So it's like, but that panic is going to put you into shock even faster and then just make everything worse. That you're going to be going into, but like understanding even from having that proper mindset and preparedness beforehand of like, all right, if I get turned around out here, it's not the end of the world. The chupacabra isn't going to sneak out and come and get me while I'm out here in the woods. I'll probably maybe, be all maybe. right. Maybe. maybe. The, the, the next courses that I go into after fitness, physiology, and mindset are outdoor safety, um, planning ahead, you know, things that get you think like how much water to bring or how much water to bring with you, um, you know, what to do in a, a wild animal encounter um, and things like that. Uh, so everything is is going to basically build on itself. Um, and by the time you're done going through it, you're going to be pretty comfortable getting out there. It's awesome. And I, I like the format that you're um, that you're delivering the material on. You know, it's nice to have the video and also the option to read the transcript if you don't want to watch the video or not read. You know, you can. it's good for everybody. Um, and uh, my wife was listening to me this uh, go through the course this morning. And she's like, oh, he's got a really nice speaking voice. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, which, which definitely helps, honestly, because um, – you know, I, I've tried to I've tried to listen to some things before, and just um, it wasn't it didn't flow nice, or it was just it was. You can say it sucked. Just say it sucked. No, I don't want to say it sucked because sometimes it doesn't suck, but sometimes it does. I mean, I don't I'm, know. I'm thinking of putting together a blooper reel. Um, I oh, I, you definitely should. I've got these audio <laughs> clips where I'm I'm talking along and I get tongue tied and I'm like, oh, fuck, what the hell am I doing? You know, yeah, like, that's, that's, <laughs> there's there's a bunch of those out there too, so. Yeah, yeah, that's that's always good times. I do that when I'm when I'm making like reels or something for Instagram. I'm like, and so and blah blah blah, and then blah blah blah, blah, blah fuckity fuck fuck fuck. I'm like, all right, well anyway, we're starting over. Since <laughs> majority of the film on my phone is all that, just me cursing at whatever thing just ruined my reel, whether it's yeah. a truck driving by or, or myself. <laughs> well, I, I, I want the, the I want the Heather though. blooper reel. I want to hear Heather losing her mind. On the I yeah, I post my blooper reels, you guys. I post them. I screw stuff was, up all the time. I don't do a, a lot of swearing. I don't do a lot yeah, of swearing. Was, but was a doctor, yeah, there was a lot of like. <laughs> 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 we film it all. I share all my mistakes. I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, no, I mess stuff up all the time, but you know, that's, I'm trying, right? Like, that's the thing. Like I always tell people, like, it doesn't matter if you mess up as long as you give it a go, enjoy yourself, 
just keep trying. Like I'm not perfect. Nobody else is perfect. And if you think they're perfect online, they're lying. They're only showing you the good yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> like I would rather people know that I mess things up all the time. I try I not know. to. I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but I've always liked it. It's, it goes something like, um, you can't steer a parked car. So <laughs> I you, like like, that too. you you just yeah. got to get out there and go. Otherwise, you won't know which way to, to turn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can plan on failing. That's what I tell people. I was like, I know I'm going to fail, but eventually I'll get it right. I mean, you just have to know that you're going to mess something up and it's not going to go right, but you're going to be OK. You're going to be better the next time. And I think that's that applies so much to people learning outdoor skills is they're not going to get it right away. It's going to be hard for them and they're going to have to keep practicing. But eventually it'll click. Yeah. Well, you know, it goes to like the whatever, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger thing. And yeah. uh, unless you know, it kills you. Unless it kills you. And then, you know, you don't you're, care dead. you're dead. <laughs> you always forget that part of the quote. <laughs> <laughs> it is unfortunate, but, you know, with outdoor stuff, like there is situations where, like, you know, these things could uh, kill you, you know, and like, I, you know, I don't know if we ever mentioned this one before, but like, I remember last year, I was out in California. I don't know exactly where it was in California, but, you know, it was a, it was a couple with a young child that died. Um, while out on a day hike because mm. it was very, very hot. They were very underprepared for the heat and they didn't have enough water. And they didn't have any kind of skill set to support them getting water. So even though they were literally surrounded by water, they did not know how to access clean drinking water and they overheated, dehydrated and died. And it's very sad. You know, it's very, very sad that when you hear that kind of stuff happening. But that's why it's good to have a baseline of knowledge and, um, you know, yeah, you can go out there and you can wing it and you can get lucky. You know, it was like when I was a kid and I got lost in Olympic, um, I got lucky. And I think part of what kept me moving throughout that entire process is I never really realized how much danger I was actually in. <laughs> so, um, you know, but there I was like, like roaming around this, this, uh, you know, Washington state rainforest in the middle of freaking nowhere with no water, no supplies, no food, no nothing. And, um, you know, I just kept moving because I just, I just knew I had to keep moving. That's all I did. Um, so maybe ignorance was bliss a little bit there, but I, I also recognize the fact that I got lucky in that situation, which is why I kind of, you know, dedicated my life to learning skills to enjoy the outdoors safely. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's my story, but you know, some people weren't so lucky, but that's why I think it's great that we have programs, you know, coming out there where it's accessible to people to learn this stuff because not everyone's prepared to go take that three day course or, you know, fly out to, you know, some other state to, to learn something. Um, and you know, people will argue, well, you really can't learn stuff online that you could in person, but you absolutely can, but it just requires more practice on your part. You know, you're not going to just watch a video and all of a sudden be a master woodsman, but you know, you can take that information and go out and practice. It's and, interesting. Yeah, and it's really important. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say, it's interesting that you said I knew to just keep moving. I, on the other hand, learned that as soon as I figured out I'm lost to sit my ass down and hug a tree. So uh, slightly <laughs> different perspectives there. Um, I just figured that I could only get more lost if I continue to try to find my way out if I'm lost. So I well, really... you're not really supposed to keep moving. In the oh, okay, all right. I was eleven-year-old Nick was in number yeah, one survivalist. They, they probably would have found me a lot sooner if I had just stayed in place. But um, 
I don't know, man. I, I just I just kept moving. You know, I was just thirsty and I wanted water and I found water and I also found Giardia. So oh. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good time. But um, I laugh about it now. And, uh, you know, it's funny because for years and years we did not – I was out with my um, my uncle and um, we did not tell my mom this happened <laughs> at all. She had no idea. And I think when I was – I think it was 11 or 12 when it happened. So we finally told her like one Christmas or New Year's when I was in my early 20s and she was so mad. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty hilarious. He but brought you anyway, back yeah. alive. That's what's yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good learning experience. <laughs> anyway, we have digressed a lot of, from top Yeah, of Yeah. Patrick, you had something to say. Um, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, okay. <Yeah>. We're distracting <laughs> our guests with the nonsense. That's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's cool what you're doing. Um, so tell us a little bit about the format of the courses and what you have kind of planned beyond just the basic stuff. So the courses are broken down uh, by um, basically by learning objective. Uh, you you go in. Um, there's a place. It's a it's a it's subscription based. Um, so there's going to be you know a, a steady drip of courses coming out. Uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, uh, just a qu- quick note on that. Um, I am offering when you, if you saw between now and June, if you sign up, uh, it's going to be the, your first three months are free just because I don't have a robust, uh, repository of courses right now. So, so I understand that, um, I want, you know, the people taking my courses to be happy. I don't want them to feel like they're, they're getting ripped off or whatever. Um, but as I'm building these courses out for now, it's going to be free and it'll help me too. Cause it'll be, uh, uh, we can, you know, yeah, ba- based on your feedback, I can help make things better, you know, as this thing is growing. Um, but you sign up for the subscription. It, it, it gives you access to, um, all the courses that I'm coming out with. Um, there's, I'm starting with my foundation, topics like we covered. Um, you sign up, you go into the course, there's a description of what it's all about. Um, it's broken down into different modules so you can digest it. Uh, they're, they're pretty, you know, right, right now they're pretty quick and easy. Um, I haven't made anything too long or too advanced. Um, the one that I have now even has, uh, PDFs attached of, um, you know, different survival stories from people who were stranded out there. Uh, Ada Blackjack is one of my favorites. She was she was stranded in Siberia for two years all by herself, and she didn't know mm. survival skills starting out, but she she managed to do it. So like stories, like some inspiration, you know, and just getting exposure to that knowledge. Like you said, uh, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to go out and practice it right away. Just being exposed to the topic is a really good start, and then take that knowledge and do something with it. Um, in the future, this is something I'm really excited about. I've got uh, a bunch of people right now who are interested in contributing their own courses. Um, I'm kind of using these guys to fill in gaps where you know they're way better subject matter experts on the topic uh, than I am. Um, really cool people. Uh, Larry Roberts from Alone is one of them. Philip Leibel. Uh, Jerry Saunders from Corvus Knife and Tool. He's he's a awesome. cold weather cold weather expert. Um, Patrick Wong from Tiga Tactics. He's he does uh, like self defense 
stuff. Uh, so there's going to be a really cool mix um, across a pond. I've got uh, Kitlin Walken interested. She does uh, tracking for Hull's tracking school in Europe. Um, who am I forgetting? Hold on, I got a list. She's got a list. That's I a do. pretty. That's a pretty robust list so far. Though. Yeah, <laughs> some um, heavy hitters. Like, by the way, I got I got all these experts. Oh, um, uh, uh, Tom Sarge from Pre- Prepping with Sarge. Uh, he's his expertise is in like traumatic mental health. Um, what, Jacks from Wildcard Wilderness is on board. Um, there's a guy uh, who I'm talking to now. Um, He's working with someone who survived the uh, uh, the Balkan Wars. Uh, he was in a his his town that he was in uh, was basically sealed off by a military blockade, and he was trapped in a dense urban area for over a year and had to survive. Um, working with him, uh, last but not least, uh, I'm working with uh, Kenny from Grumpy Bushcraft. <laughs> we're gonna get him. We're gonna get him on there. So when when these contributors when they come up with a course, it's gonna be a one time purchase uh, to have access to their course, and then the subscription gets you unlimited access to all of mine. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds like you got a pretty pretty robust plan uh, to really like build this out to something that's gonna be really cool, really big, and a really nice wealth of knowledge for people to have access to, which, you know, which I said, I think is fantastic. And, and I love that you acknowledge that you're not an expert at everything. And there's other people who know more about certain things than you do. Um, there was in the military, there was a, a mindset uh, where if you were a leader and you were taking care of other soldiers, you're not going to, you're not, you shouldn't ask them to do something you haven't done or haven't done yourself or wouldn't do yourself. And that's something I always took to heart. And it's something I carry with me. Well, I think it's it's really important because, you know, there's been, I guess, with Alone um, coming out there, there's been a, a massive surge in the survival industry, if you'll call that an industry. And there's a lot of people out there that are proclaiming to be experts in everything. They're going to teach people everything and, and whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's hard for the consumer to really know if the person that they're getting this information from is – true, you know, valuable information, or if it's just, you know, some random schmo that, you know, went to chat GPT and said, okay, how do I not die in the woods? <laughs> you know, and made it made a course around it. So, but I definitely think, you know, acknowledging that you don't know everything and that there's other people out there that know more than you in certain subjects definitely indicates that you are, um, you know, of, of quality and definitely uh, getting other people involved, lets people know that your courses are going to be of quality, which is awesome. I mean, you definitely have quite the robust background yourself, so it's so, you know, definitely a good thing. But, you know, people got to be careful out there because there's a lot, a lot of misinformation. And well, um, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and, and a lot of it, too, is I was just going to ask Patrick, is, is it's networking in groups of people that you appreciate, right? Like you have a pretty big network now based on what you do and the places that you've been. And so you're able to meet these people in person or to get recommendations from people you trust, right? I mean, a lot of these people you know personally, right? Uh, part of uh, what, I, what I do for a living is um, writing for a magazine. It's a survival and emergency preparedness magazine called Recoil Off Grid. Um, I'm also the web editor for it. And um, we're constantly going out to interview different people, take their courses, 
learn, write about it, and and share that information. It's one of the most satisfying things about that is uh, being a force multiplier for the people who appreciate our platform and what we do. So I, anybody who's, you know, has helped me out, you know, the, with whatever products, courses, uh, I, I really enjoy getting that out there. And if I can help them in some way, um, you know, people that I know are experienced and le- legitimately good at what they do outside of recoil off grid in Vargold, wherever, uh, I really enjoy helping those people out and getting it, getting exposure and just leaning on each other to, you know, better the human condition, essentially. <laughs> and we appreciate you so much for yes. that, Patrick. Let's just Absolutely. do Patrick a shout out. He takes care well, of everybody. It's wonderful. Yeah, because I, I met Patrick, what, two years ago? At the very first uh, demo days is, I think, when we met. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, we've done some things together. We've, we've been around a few campfires now. It's been magic ever since. Yeah. <laughs> he made a really he made a really cool present to surprise uh, Hot Todd for his 50th birthday. Hot, yeah. Hot Todd. Yeah, he made him a beautiful knife. So, yeah. But awesome. I just but I just want to say that you know, like I really appreciate that again in this community, this outdoor community, this network is that people are working really hard to lift each other up and to support each other. So I'm so excited to hear you're working with all those people to put out this great information, but also to support their knowledge. That's great. I mean, it's going to be good for them too. So it's wonderful. Yep. We need to get, we need to get their, their lessons and their, their wisdom out there to to as many people as we can, because it's, you know, it'll save lives. It'll make your life better uh, and more comfortable. Um, Larry Roberts, he likes to uh, say, you know, instead of being in a survival situation, turn it into inconvenience camping. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. Yeah, I like that. But it, it's true. I mean, inconvenience camping, it, it, it's so funny because when I go camping, I don't want to be inconvenienced at all. <laughs> the last time I went camping was at George Bushcraft and I was with Tom. We had a blowtorch and it was it was quite delightful. <laughs> hey, if I got a pickup truck, I'm going to load it up. instead of harder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The first night, everybody busted my balls about using a blowtorch. And then Jerry from Fieldcraft Survival came over and said, hey, you mind if I borrow that? And I'm like, yeah. That's what I, that's what I thought. Because <laughs> I'm standing over here handing you my torch standing next to my toasty fire. Because behind me is my pickup truck. So I'm going to be smart and be prepared and bring everything in the kitchen sink. So I don't, except for a warm enough sleeping bag, which was my problem <laughs> at Georgia Bushcraft. I brought everything but that. It was well, a cold event. <laughs> we weren't. We yeah. weren't. None of us were prepared for twenty something degree nights was, in Georgia. So you, you were. were. Oh, good for you. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you screw you guys. I know what. Yeah, I'm but you about. used to live where ice is frozen, like majority of the year. The and origin it's like, of ice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can backtrace thousands of years, I'm sure, up there. So I'm sure all your sleeping bags are like negative 80. <laughs> One of them is at least. <laughs> what do you do with that in California now? Just insulate your entire apartment with it? Just use it as a pillow. <laughs> in case you need to get a sauna. <laughs> what part of California are you in right now? Um, I actually live in South San Jose and it's, um, the climate is actually considered Mediterranean. So it's, uh, I haven't seen snow yet. When winter came around making quotation marks, winter, (laughs) when, when winter came, right, some leaves fell off, 
And then the rain came and everything, there's, there's golden hills around here. It's oak savanna in the summer. All the hills turned green. Like everything just started growing. That, that, that was winter. Um, (laughs) A little backwards. (laughs) I'm really enjoying it. So I don't know. I got my pile of snow outside. That's not going away anytime soon. So yay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just gray and dead up here, which is fun. I mean, it's perfect for my demeanor. So. <laughs> I blend right in. <laughs> Nothing changed here. Cold Seasonal cold depression? Cold What's cold that? Cold it's cold called cold. constant depression. Deal it's with the, it. It's not the Death Star, but it's the next best thing. <laughs> I'm trying. But I'm sure it's also, too, like down there in that environment, it's just a different group of people out there because even I'm sure like up in the Midwest, like there's some things that you just need to know, which isn't like being a survivalist, but it's just called living in the upper Midwest where like you put a jacket in your truck when you drive out somewhere. Like, as you know, you're probably going to get stuck somewhere or something could happen where you need to get out and fix your car and it's going to be zero degrees. And if you don't have, yes, your car is nice and warm when it's running and there's heat going. But what happens when that stops being the case? Yeah, it's all perspective. You know, if you've never lived any place with snow or you've never lived any place where it's 130 and humid, you, you, you just don't know. You, you've never never been exposed to it, so you don't know what to prepare for. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, our bodies acclimate very well to the environments that we're used to being in. And um, when you throw yourself into an environment that you're not used to being in, your body does not know what to do with it. It takes, you know, it does take some time, you know, up to sometimes up to three weeks for your body to acclimate to a new environment. So the more variation that you that you throw at it, like the more it will get used to that variation. But if you don't do that, then you're just like, like I tell people all the time, like I'm pretty good at not dying in the woods in the Northeast. But if you put me in a desert, I'll probably be dead in 18 hours. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know a thing about surviving in the desert other than it's it's hot during the day and it's cold at night and there's not a lot of water. It does not sound like a good thing to me. That doesn't sound fun. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm told that the people like it in the desert. The people that live in the desert, but maybe they just don't know what like nice things are, like trees. <laughs> they don't know what nice things are. They don't have nice things. You just have sandy dust. Just like to be warm, right? Like Your there's some people to that just want to be warm. <laughs> That's what I figured, right? When we, yeah. went, we went to Arizona and went hiking with my my aunt, and um, the heat, like we're just not used to it, Todd and I, because here we get one week where it's in the 90s. Otherwise, we're like 65, 70 at the warmest. So to go to Arizona and have it be like 101 and everyone else was like, me and Todd are like, oh my God, we're dying. Like it was just hot and I'm not used to it. And I mean, I guess it makes sense. You're saying it takes three weeks to acclimate, but just makes me sluggish and grouchy. Yeah. Or even even if you're not walking, if you drive from San Jose to Southern California, like San Diego or LA, you, you get down in those desert areas and even in the car, you can tell that the air is just drawing the moisture way more dramatically than you're used to. And you got to stop and find water at the gas station or whatever. And you're uh-huh. like, oh, my gosh, my mouth is parched. It's it happens really quick. Yeah. And it's funny how quickly the environment can change because, you know, I before we moved up to Connecticut, I lived um, right outside of New York City on Long Island. And um, it was a lot warmer and a lot more humid there. So, you know, and it was very common to get 90 plus days there pretty much all summer long. And then we moved up to Connecticut and the summers are, I mean, even though it's only 50 miles north geographically, um, 
the environment is different and it does not get as hot here and we typically don't even see a lot of days in the 90s except for when tom wants to come up here and shoot content <laughs> and then like the two the two times last summer that he came up here were the two hottest days of the summer it was like 96 <laughs> degrees we're yeah. hauling backpacks of like 40 freaking knives through the woods i'm like this is the worst yeah. <laughs> that was one of those times where you learn a lesson like next time we do a photo shoot it's five knives not 40 <laughs> <laughs> or at least bring a cart or something. What if, what yeah, well, I would have needed a cart for Nick if I had one of those things. He would have hopped right in it. Yeah, I would have absolutely would have accepted that cart. I was not I was not feeling the heat those days. <laughs> yeah. The next time we went out, we found a nice spot that was a brisk walk away instead of the last one. Nick's like, all right, let's go hiking up this mountain. It overlooks the river. And I'm like, cool. How about we just find this pond right here away the, far enough from people? Okay, and we'll but okay. the view was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Sure. <laughs> Photoshop of you. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the view. I don't want to walk. <laughs> well, if I wanted to just go for a hike, it would have been my normal like EDC of nothing. And then I would have been all right. Not an entire pack of everything. Because that's not normally my case. Well, you know, you live and you learn. We were a little ambitious that time. <laughs> 49 <laughs> was too much. <laughs> We yeah. got better by the third time we did it. We, we pretty much got it dialed into like a handful of knives and it was all right. <laughs> That's the same thing with like going out on trips though. You just got to learn because like, Patrick, I'm sure you're going to have it where people are taking the course. And it's like eventually you need to jump in the water. You, you could do all you want online, but you're going to have to get out there to really realize what works and what doesn't work and what works for you. Because like we just said about the environment, it's like we could be saying stuff that works up in the Northeast, but that doesn't mean it's going to work in Cali. I agree with that with a caveat. Work through all the mistakes that you can in a safe place like your apartment or your backyard or whatever. And then when you do go out uh, and you're exploring a new thing and you want to try a new skill, bring everything you need that makes your life comfortable, but remove something that it doesn't like. Fire is the easiest one. You know, bring all your food, bring all your water, bring all your camping gear, whatever. But don't bring your torch. And just focus, focus on starting a fire, focus on that, you know, and then the next time you go out, bring your torch, but maybe don't bring your water filter or whatever, like boil your stuff from the stream or, or whatever you can do, you know, like, don't go all in all at once, you know, learn a couple things before well, you yeah, go out and then I test it. I think it's good to pace yourself and I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make is that they just kind of like try to go out and do everything. I just think it's, you know, and we've I know we've definitely talked about this before, but people who are new to the getting outdoors and stuff like that, they spend a lot of money on gear. And they, they load their backpack up with gear and then they're going out for a day hike. You know, they got 48 pounds worth of gear hanging off their bag and stuff and uh I mean, I guess that's good for your endurance training and stuff like that, but I think that a lot of people end up with this idea, this false sense of security because they have all this equipment. And a lot of it they probably don't really know how to use, but somebody told them they should have it so they so they have it. And have then, you ever seen pictures or videos of the Appalachian Trail? Yeah, the people just dump it's, their gear. On it's the side. littered with gear. They're like, I really don't need this and it's way too heavy. And it's just littered with the gear people don't actually need. Tom, you you've mentioned that. You actually knew knew a spot where to go get that. Yeah, it was down in Georgia, actually, because all the people that – because I used to work in an outdoor shop and they would always – we have a lot of thru-hikers come there. And they'd always say like the locals down there just like will hike up, find new gear, and then leave because <laughs> they know that that's their outdoor shop because people are buying really nice shit that they end up throwing on the side of the trail, which nothing says like nature is like somebody throwing gear on the side of the trail that they continue to hike through. But, you know, I guess uh, they really didn't want that extra weight. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. When I when I was younger, and I think I, Patrick, I was telling us about this the other day. Like, I used to do uh, go ruck when I was younger and in pristine condition, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so I would put you know the forty five pound weight plate in the back and go and do stupid shit, and you know, in the woods or in the urban environments and stuff like that. And it was like it was great because I was young, but now I'm old, <laughs> and um, you know, the the idea of moving um, distance and speed with weight is not a lot of fun. So the spine isn't as springy. As <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's like, so I've, I've started to kind of tailor my own carry to be able to do more with less, which has made me want to learn additional skills so that I could do efficiently do more with less, you know? So that's, that's been, that's been really good. Um, but I mean, I think that that's kind of the idea. And, you know, we talk about this all the time, but like, even with like knives, you know, everybody starts with really big outdoor knives and they start going smaller and smaller and smaller because they realize they can do most of what they need to do with a three inch fixed blade. Um, I'm not saying there's not a place for a larger knife, like, uh, here, a little plug, Tom, the, uh, the big boy, the big, big, big boy, um, you know, with a four and a half, inch, <laughs> that's a great knife to have while camping. You know, I might not, not going hiking with that thing. I though. Yeah, I definitely don't want to no. hike. That's with base camp that knife. Thing my belt, you know? So I use the Condor Terrachetti for my EDC knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in California. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> You'll get sniped in an instant. <laughs> You've been arrested three times as soon as you walked out. The police are on their way just for thinking that. <laughs> it, keep, it keeps the neighbors away, so. <laughs> just wave at him with the machete. Hi, neighbors. Yeah, that's a great way to make friends. Let me open that mail for you. But then like you talk to a guy like Ruben and he's like, yeah, I just went to Amazon with a Swiss army knife. I'm like, dude, you're terrible for my sales. <laughs> like, stop it. <laughs> but you could do so much more with less if you just know how to do it. And that's, but you need to learn those skills to actually get to that point. So I get why everybody wants to have all the gear. Cause like, you know, it makes them feel safe, but necessarily it didn't. I don't know. They're trying to buy experience with gear, if that makes any sense. They're trying to replace one with the other. I, I think it's yeah. really good to encourage people to go try things with others that know. Like I invite people camping with us all the time because I'm like, if you've never been camping, we have some skills, but you'll also be able to be in an environment where you feel safe to learn about stuff, but you're not being dependent on to provide all the stuff. So yeah, I really encourage people to, you know, get together with somebody who likes to go camping and go camping with them because First of all, if you hate it, you don't have to waste the money buying all the gear. But if you love it, you know, there's somebody that you can ask questions about who has experience. So it's like find a buddy, the buddy system for camping, at least for me. That's what I try to encourage people to do that who are afraid or just are like, I've never I just never been exposed to it. And I'm like, all right, then you could just come to the property and we'll let you camp. You'll be safe. Yeah, or even, be here. yeah. even go have a barbecue at a park. Yeah. You know, and, and see what happens. Like, what are the bugs like? What's what's it like walking on the grass? You know, it's yeah. uh, things, you you know, we can probably take for granted. If you've never really been exposed to that, uh, it can be jarring at first. Well, I think that's that's the hardest thing about, you know, as the role of an instructor when you're teaching people stuff is I think there's there's so much that we innately take for granted because it's something that we just are so familiar with that we don't realize that other people – don't know that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, um, so you, you really have to 
be very careful when you're when you're kind of teaching people because you don't know where people start and you don't really know what their knowledge set is. And you know, for a lot of people who live in a city, grow up in a city, don't really leave the city, like they don't understand, you know, directions of the wind or you know the fact that if you're walking in the woods and it's really windy and there's a lot of snow that there's a good chance that a branch might fall on you and kill you. <laughs> you know, like it's, I, I, I would say that you know those types of things. People, people who live in the cities know more than they think that they do. They just have to apply their awareness of their city environment and apply that to an awareness in a wilderness environment or a suburban environment or whatever environment they're in. Um, and it's just it's a skill they have to practice. I I, I think they can. I think they can bring a lot to the table. They just have to know how well, to I do, transfer I do definitely, it over. I agree with that because I've done I've done urban survival courses and I've done you know in, in the woods survival courses and the principles are essentially the same. You know, I mean that how you apply those principles can be a little bit different, but just like any other environment, how you apply those principles are going to be a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, I, I think city people do have a certain degree of survival skills, and they probably have a lot more street smarts than a lot of people. And I think I think honestly, the people who get really screwed are the suburban people. <laughs> well, I'd argue that the city people actually sometimes have more of the awareness than people even in suburbia or going to the woods. Because, like, I tell it all the time, bears are easy to read. They let you know when they don't fucking want you there. <laughs> yes. Where people can be smiling at you yeah. while trying to stab you. So it's like these bears and animals and all the other sorts, they let you know, not welcome. Where in yeah. the city, it's like, you know, there's all sorts of creatures running around those places that you have to be very well aware of. Yeah. yeah. Well, animals are predictable. People are not. Yeah. I no. think, so. I think I'm, more, I'm more concerned about my environment in a city than I am where I'm at now because there's just so many things going on that you have to be aware of. And if you don't do that on a day-to-day basis, you just don't know it, you know? Because when like I would go to Seattle with the kids and the kids don't even think to look at cars coming out of a parkade because they've always been in the woods. So like never even occurs to them to be looking for cars coming from both directions, you know, which just seems super simple. But then I realized we didn't expose yeah. them to it. We, what, they, what you just what you just said there is so perfect, mm-hmm. because that if you flip that. You know, if you I, I feel more comfortable in the wilderness because of, of X, Y and Z versus the urban scenario versus X, Y and Z. Urban people, the same thing, but just reversed. Yeah. You know, yeah. they know they know things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like it's just shifting your frame of mind. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and Heather, you brought, brought up a really excellent point there because I noticed that with my son. He's he's seven. So while he was young when he lived on, um, you know, in, in a more like urban suburban area, like he doesn't remember any of that stuff. So, you know, every time we have to travel, we go back to Long Island or go back to the city for any reasons. Like I have to, I have to hold him physically because he does not understand how the roads work there because you don't see a lot of cars on my road. So it's like, you know, he knows to look, but that's, that's about it. Well, and there's you know, so much else to walk down the middle too. of the road and that won't be an issue. Whereas yeah. like on Long Island, if you do that, you're going to get pancaked. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I completely empathize with your son. Uh, when I first moved to California, I went to a Costco for the first time. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was, an it was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, there was like 20,000 people with these giant carts 
out to kill you. Flowing. <laughs> They're flowing everywhere. Like just, just and it you trip, they'll flow. just run over you. Yeah. <laughs> they'll just, just, just going people. over. I probably look like a frightened cat because my eyes were huge. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, where do I move? What do I do? It was crazy. It was crazy. I'm I'm, I'm used to it now, but uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the first, first time, time man, it was it was pretty wild. Costco. Wow. The first time I went to New York City and took the subway by myself without one of my friends who lived there like guiding me. <laughs> I was like, I got through Manhattan, like from Jersey to Manhattan. I got there. And then I was trying to get to Brooklyn. And normally I just like did this thing called manners and asked people politely. And they were actually like shocked. They thought I was trying to like get money out of them. Like, no, I'm just saying, please, sir. And stuff <laughs> like that. They weren't used to it. And then by the time I got to Brooklyn, the person I asked uh, responded, I don't know why the fuck you people don't take cabs. And I'm like, all right, I made it to Brooklyn. But it's like, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, because they're like looking at me like I'm the lost puppy. Just like we're saying these people are going to the woods. Because to be honest, I had no idea where the fuck I was until she said it that way. And I'm like, oh, I probably arrived. But you know. <laughs> but it, the tables are completely turned. But you could throw me out in the woods and I'd be com- actually more comfortable than trying to navigate to the subways. Yeah, hundred hundred percent, hundred percent, and you know it's it's very quick. Your your body, like I said, you adapt, and I guess adapting to not living in the city is, is something that happens very quickly. Because if I go back to Long Island now after after a couple of years or you know to the city to like visit people or whatever it is, I am totally totally overwhelmed. There's so much light and noise and sound and things. It like. You know, we talk about like situational awareness and how important situational awareness is, but it's a lot easier to have situational awareness in an environment where there's not too much stuff going on. Whereas if you're in a loud hustle and bustle, it's like so much stimulation. <laughs> it's like, you know, you need to really like focus on like, okay, what's important and what's not important and what's background noise and what's what's actually something. Well, um, it's the other way around too. Sorry. When people come out to the woods, right? They're like, "Oh my gosh, it's so quiet, and I can see stars." And it's hard for them to adjust to there not being noise because we have yeah. from where we're at, you can see the sky; it's beautiful, and the only thing you hear are owls and coyotes and stuff. So, like when people come to our place and they're they're camping, they're always shocked at how beautiful it is. And how little noise there is, but a forest is actually really noisy once you go to bed, it, right? Like it, it really is. The, the woods, the woods are really loud, but it's a different kind of loud. Yeah, and I, yeah. you know, when I was in the city, I used to think the same thing, like, oh, the woods is so peaceful and so quiet, and like whatever it is. And then we went, um, we went on a trip down to Virginia uh, with with my family, and it was awesome. I had a great time. We stayed in a little cabin in the woods, and. As soon as the sun went down, it was the loudest place that you will ever hear. You know, like the frogs, the crickets, everything making noise. Chupacabras. Chupacabras. Here at Sasquatch. Sasquatch is The standards out there in the woods. But yeah, the woods The woods is loud. And there's a lot There's a lot of stimulation. There's a lot of stuff to be aware of in the woods. But it's just a different It's a different kind of noise than than what, the, what I was used to in the city, you know, and now it's like, now it's the opposite. I've gotten used to the wood sounds and I know what's an important sound and what's, you know, a sound I can essentially ignore. Um, except for squirrels because all squirrels are bears. That's just the way it is. Squirrels. Why are they so loud? No They're joke. so small, but they are the loudest creatures moving through. through and the they woods. lecture you. Mine get in the tree and they're like, da, 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 da. the whole time I'm in the woods, they're yelling at me. It drives me nuts. <laughs> 
Yeah, every time I see him in the deer woods, you're always tempted to see what a 30-30 would do to a squirrel because <laughs> you think you got a big deer coming around the corner and then it's a fucking squirrel. And you're like, oh, God, I want to so badly. You annoying little prick. <laughs> yeah, well, for, for a buck 50 around, I'm not wasting a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then spooking everything else out there. And I'm like, oh, if I wasn't trying to get a deer right now, you'd be fucking dead, little bastard. And they are just dancing around the woods. You're like, huh. Whatever. I used to, they know I used, what they do. Yeah. You know what? They do I this on purpose. Funny, quick, funny story about a squirrel. But when I when I lived on Long Island, I had this squirrel that lived in the tree um, that was next to my house. And it would every morning it would get out there and it would just start yelling at, at all the passing cars. And you're like, squirrels make this like, like kind of sound. And this squirrel was just pissed off and he was yelling and he started like, Taking shit and like throwing them in passing, like dropping them on passing cars. <laughs> we, found the, we found the squirrel version of Tom. <laughs> it was like the angriest squirrel <laughs> that ever was, and and he was persistent because he was at least three years. This squirrel was was persistent through the spring and summer of just being pissed off at every passing car and just screeching at it and throwing crap. Her picture. <laughs> She saw me smiling, so she's like, I got to get this opportunity. opportunity. Holy shit, got to get this going now. I I looked at the time and I was like, okay, we've been talking for an hour. I probably should take a picture. Get your your photo. But um, yeah, so really, really good stuff. And honestly, like really, really good perspective, I think, Um, especially when we're talking about, you know, the the awareness in urban environments and and how – skilled that people who live in these environments actually are when it comes to their survival stuff. So not something that I, that I really um, ever thought too much about in the past, but it definitely has changed my perspective. So thank you for that, Patrick. Um, and that's, that's really cool. So um, do you have anything else that you want to share with us before we start to wrap this up for the day? Um, I guess uh, just Head over to Vargold3T.com. Uh, yeah, Vargold3T.com. Yeah, Basically, if you look up Vargold, V-A-R-G-O-L-D, 3T on any platform, Google, Instagram, Facebook, it's going to show up there. And you should go and check out the website for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll have some links down below for the uh, listening audience. Go click on and check out so they can see uh, they can see your stuff. But thanks so much for joining us. I do look very much look forward to finishing that first course over the next couple of days. And then uh, you guys can be on the lookout. I'll have a review of the course up on my website um, probably the next week, week and a half-ish, I would say, depending on uh, how cooperative my children are and allowing me to finish courses and then write things <laughs> while they're off from school. And uh, and that's all I got. Tom, you got anything you want to share with the world today? No, nah, nothing groundbreaking. I'm making knives. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Yes. Yep. Nope. Me either. Making just hey. making gear, and I will see Patrick next month. So, yeah. yeah. And Heather, um, That'll be a good just tell time. tell everyone again where your show's at. Our show is in Yakima, Washington, at the Sun Dome, and it's going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we're in booth three thirteen. If you want to come say hello. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I guess we will wrap it up for the day. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. Bye. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Stuff. I really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for listening to us, audience. And uh, we'll be back next week with, with more nonsense. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Go away. Bye.